ever seen blood on the moon like that? William, you're gonna make yourself sick or get yourself killed. Multiple trails. Just you and me now, sport. One hunter. I'm gonna find you, damn it. FBI agent Will Graham. Manhunter. Welcome to the Hannibal Files, a Strange Harbors podcast. This is a weekly discussion of Brian Fuller's serial killer drama Hannibal, which is now streaming on Netflix. Tonight, we're going to be taking a little break from our regular Hannibal coverage to talk about Michael Mann's 1986 film, Manhunter, as a primer for the last half of the final season of Hannibal. Uh, tonight, I'm joined by... Amir Ture. And Derek Wong. It's nice to take a little break from uh, Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen and Lawrence Fishburne to talk about a little bit something else, you know, talk a little bit about film and one of my favorite directors, Michael Mann. I don't know how familiar you guys are with his filmography, but... Well, yeah, um, that's what I was going to lead off with. If, if you're a man person, what, it's Thief, this, what else? Oh, man, so much. Heat, obviously. Oh, yeah. Collateral, Public Enemies, um, Black Hat. Oh, that's right. He's collateral. Holy crap. Yeah. Miami Vice. All very, very good films. I don't think he's ever made a straight out dud. Maybe his, uh, maybe his horror film, The Keep, which no one ever talks about. Um, I remember that. That movie's a mess, but there's points of interest in that film as well. But, um, so there's also Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, Last of the Mohicans is great. Daniel Day Lewis action and, uh, he did Ali. I was just not in the same. Yeah, Ali. Like, that's not in the right. Same class, but Ali was great. I loved Ali. Um, so most of his films, Manhunter included, pretty much just about criminals and the obsessed minds that are out to catch them. Right. I think the Keep, Ali. Those are a couple of outsiders. He even directed The Insider uh, with Russell Crowe, um, Al Pacino. That's a great movie too. Hmm. Yeah, Mohicans is another exception. But yeah, it seems like a lot of them are. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of his first couple of films. Like, I don't know anything about Insurrection. Or... Same here. I've seen a couple of these movies on his you know, filmography. But the funny thing is, I, I'm i a little surprised now looking at it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize he directed those things. It's terrible to say, but I guess I never realized he directed, you know, Last of the Mohicans or Ali. I knew he directed like Collateral, Miami Vice. I'm a, taken a, a little taken aback at the moment. <laughs> I think it's interesting to note that for a director whose filmography spans over like half a century, like he hasn't directed that many films, right? He's very meticulous with the films that he makes. And but he's, he's, he's in five in the last 20 years. Yeah, that's not that many. Not at all. He's a. He's Daniel Day Lewis. Like he, he does one film every five years, and it's, yeah. it's, it's, awesome. and it's always a banger. Although I've never heard of this 2015 film Black Hat, and apparently it was Chris Hemsworth is the master hacker. Um, yeah, looks like it was a dog. It looks like it was yeah, not definitely good. not received well. I am a Black Hat apologist. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, Black Hat is good. It's it's fun. You have to um, watch Black Hat then. So should we get into Manhunter? I mean, let's just start off, right? Like, what is your 
ranking of Hannibal Lecter's now that we've seen <laughs> Manhunter. So we've seen three Hannibal Lecter's, right? We've seen... Mm-hmm. We talked about the Silence of the Lands, of course, but he's also in Hannibal and Hannibal Rising. Uh, we've seen, of course, Mads Mikkelsen on the Hannibal series. And then this last one, which I guess is technically the earliest one, is uh, Brian Cox, right? And mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter spelled differently than in any other iteration. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, if, did you guys notice in the credits, they don't even call it Hannibal Lecter? In the credits, Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Oh, really? Yeah, because like, and I'm thinking about it, like, I don't think he actually calls him Hannibal, does he? There might have been a mention of his first name somewhere in there, but... It's interesting, and I was trying to research it, and I'm like, there's no explanation of why Michael Mann decides to change. At least, I don't know, I couldn't find any, I don't know if you guys have found anything, but... I feel like it's pretty much inexplicable, no one really knows why Yeah. he made that change. But yeah, Hannibal Lector, <laughs> L-E-C-K-T-O-R, right? And and Dollarhide is spelled differently too. It's like Dollarhide, like dollar oh, I didn't and even, cents I did, dollar. Oh, I didn't even so, know. This is the only adaptation that doesn't take the title from the book, right? Because it's uh, the book it's based off of is Red Dragon. So the reason we're covering this is because the final half of season three of Hannibal is a straight-up adaptation of Red Dragon. I mean, the final story arc of the series so far is Red Dragon, right? Yeah, so I think I think it's interesting to cover this because obviously we covered The Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And I do think this is the more interesting adaptation of Red Dragon versus Brett Ratner's uh, version. Nobody needs to be seeing any more of Brett Ratner's work anymore. Yeah, what a, what a scumbag. <laughs> So I'm reading that this, that this spelling issue is actually a licensing thing. And the name thing was a Dino De Laurentiis decision about, like, name recognition, not getting the movie confused with, like, movies with dragon in the name. Like, oh, Yeah, I read that, too. Like, they didn't want to confuse it as, like, some kind of martial arts movie. And- yeah, because, well, it was, a, it was a movie called Year of the Dragon, right? I don't think it's a Bruce Lee movie. I don't think it has anything to do with Bruce Lee. Uh, but it's, like, a martial arts movie that totally bombed so like uh let's not have anything with dragon in the name just so that we don't confuse this movie with this huge dud um which didn't end up doing anything because this movie was also a dud yeah critics didn't really like it no one went to go see it but it's definitely built up a cult following since then and i think it's held up his reputation as like one of man's best films and it's like i feel like it's one of the best adaptations of a thomas harris novel yeah and a lot of what i was reading also is just like over the years the reception has warmed up on it and uh like it's seen as you know one of the early kind of adaptations of like a criminal profiler right so it kind of really paved the way for some of those things especially like if you recognize the lead actor right uh Uh, william peterson william peterson right he goes on to play grissom in csi Right, the original mm-hmm. CSI. So, like, I mean, you you can't say that we would have shows like CSI without you know these kind of early adaptations of like criminal profilers. Oh yeah, for sure. Like Manhunter itself is like proto CSI, right? Because it's all about like the rigmarole of like catching this serial killer and like about the procedural aspect of it, right? I feel like more than any other crime movie, let alone Michael Mann movie, right? It's it's very procedural and and i love that aspect of it yeah it's so cool it's so, so good it's so cool it's so cool and so different from hannibal 
which is so dreamlike and like there's no lot to it. This is so realistic and rooted into like the the fibers like found and like the the evidence and it's very physical and logical and um it's it's yeah. such a sharp contrast. I really love it. It's a breath of fresh air. All right, so f- before we get too far away, let's actually answer Jeff's question, right? Like which one do we think is the best lector? Yeah, best um, Oh, that's okay. Okay, I'm. I mean, no fault to Brian Cox. This would still be my lowest of the rankings. But when mm. it comes to like Hopkins versus Mickelson, that is hard. I would probably still give it to Mads Mickelson. I think the amount of time we spend with that character really fully develops the character. It's a little. It's a little unfair, unfair. Right? because yeah. 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 episodes and episodes to Absolutely. be with and I, and I, and I, think, I think I have the same ranking for the same reason. And really, I also, would I would I be completely fucked up to say that Anthony Hopkins is my least favorite? Your least favorite? <laughs> my least favorite? Whoa! <laughs> They're all so good. They're all so good. I well, let's get into that because I didn't like the Brian Cox. Not that I didn't like it. But it's my least favorite because I feel like if I was directly comparing the movie versions of Hannibal, there's something so engaging about Hopkins, right? He like he he really grabs the screen and like captures it. Versus, I didn't really get that from Cox. But what the what I'm saying is that I've seen Silence of the Lambs so many times, mm-hmm. and I just thought that Brian Cox did something different with it, and I think. He walks like a harder tightrope to navigate with having him seem more human and less theatrical. I think there's something, mm. there's something great about, obviously about, uh, Anthony Hopkins' theatricality with his Hannibal Lecter. Um, but I think like it's, I don't want to say it's easier to perform, but you can kind of see the artifice behind it. I don't know if you, you can get my meaning. But um, I don't know. I think there's just something refreshing about Brian Cox because I'd only seen Manhunter once before our rewatch here. And I don't know. There's just something fascinating about Brian Cox here. I, I like him a lot. It's hard to say. I don't, I don't think I would say one over the other. I think they're on par with each other for different reasons. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find Brian Cox's portrayal a little more fresh to me. I think if, that, mm. if, that, if that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that's very fair. The whole, but the whole thing is fresh because the whole thing is so different from... Yeah, like, yeah. From what the whole genre has turned into like almost 40 years later, 35 years later. It, it's so different. You're going backwards to a time, you know, without internet, computer, cell phones. Like even just the setting is different. Yeah. You know, even like the idea of rotary phones plays a, uh, plays a part in the plot. And then also... Being able to play Hannibal Lecter without the burden or like baggage of that legacy, it's also very interesting. Right. And I, and, I, and I think the choice of also using very little Hannibal Lecter in this movie is a deliberate one, right? Well, it's, um, I, I, it's because the book doesn't really have that much of Hannibal Lecter either. That's from mm-hmm. my understanding that like this story is a lot of Will. Hannibal, even in the, in the books, is used very sparingly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's done well then. I guess if it's an adaptation of the book, it's done well because yeah, you get so little of Brian Cox's lecture, you definitely want a little more. So yeah, it's, it's it's very hard to rank. I think it's a little bit like you like you said, like you admitted. I think it's a little bit of an unfair comparison. But 
Yeah. I, I think I'm with Derek on this one. Matt uh, Hopkins, uh, Cox. Yeah. I, I also find it very interesting that there's only five years between this and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. And the reception is so different between the two. Like, the reception to Manhunter was so cold. And then Silence of the Lambs was like a runaway hit. It won like a trillion Oscars. Manhunter um, itself is a little cold. Like, it's a little cold. It is. It is. It is. It is. It is. A little cold, distant, uneven. So, Peterson isn't Jodie Foster, right? Jodie Foster draws you in and gives you, like, uh, I don't know. She's new to the FBI. She's a trainee. She's a woman. The whole gender dynamic of the, of the film, like, she draws you in in a way that Will does not, I think. Yeah, I think Silence is just more traditional Hollywood, and that's why there was such a magnetism to it, I guess. It's more appealing on the face of it initially. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, Han- the Hannibal Lecter you get from Hopkins is more spectacular and more exactly, yeah, vampy. It's it's uh, yeah, it's just I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I I can see why it, it got a better action. It's, it's the warmer, more appealing product, I think. Mm-hmm. And Manhunter, I think, is a little uneven, cold. Yeah, so I, I get it. Okay, I, I did just think of an argument in favor of your Hannibal Lecter as the worst one. Um, is that Hannibal and Red Dragon both aren't that good compared to Silence, right? Like, neither one is Silence, right? Mm-hmm. Not by a long shot. I don't remember either of those films fondly. Yeah. And so, like, that's an argument against him. Mm-hmm. He did three films as Hannibal Lecter and only one is good. Yeah, that, that, I guess you're right. You have to look at the body of work versus I mean, just the one about movie. Body of work. Right, like, of course, if you're just going to count silence, you know, classic, all timer, banger. But, but like, Brett Ratner's Red Dragon isn't terrible. <laughs> all right, it's not well, bad. It's entertaining serial killer thriller. Well, straight, straight from the mouth of Anthony Hopkins, I made the mistake of doing two more Hannibal Lecter movies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's put a pin in that one. That's over. <laughs> also, um, no strike against uh, Ed Norton, but. Ed Norton's Will Graham kind of sucks. Um, I don't know if you guys so, do. We need seen. to get into that argument. We Which don't need is... to get into that. Um, but like, I do like William Peterson's Will Graham. Dude, I like his Will Graham a lot. I, I like it a lot. Do you like him better than Hugh Dancy? That's I that's the might. question. I might. You might. Yeah, I really like this Will Graham. He's super. He's super weird in a normal world. Like, mm-hmm. the Will Graham on Hannibal is a mm. weird guy in a weird world. You know what I mean? But yes. this like, Will Graham is, like, a weird, traumatized dude, but in, like, a normal world, and he's trying to be normal, and he's got, like, a wife and a kid. And, yeah. and like, he's just, his weirdness stands out more because the world he's in is so normal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, I, I agree. Will Graham is in a world where there's, like, 18 serial killers in Baltimore every week. <laughs> yeah. And, like, this, like, film is taking place in a world where, like, the concept of serial killer is like, I don't know, feels like it's barely out there. Like, people are like, whoa, serial killer, this is crazy. Like, it just seems like, yeah, I don't know. I, I do really like this Will Graham a lot, actually. Yeah, and like, one thing I'll also say, like, William Peterson's portrayal of Will Graham is like, you can see the genesis of his, like, psychosis and his obsession way better than with Hugh Dancy's empathy superpower, I feel. Um, and this like, makes me superpower even more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Like, William Peterson in this, he's, like, watching hours and hours of, like, surveillance footage and all that. And he's just, like, completely subsumed by this 
by this case, right? And you can tell. And it's just unlike how indecipherable uh, Brian Fuller's little gram is at, at some times. And, and I, I appreciate that a lot. I mean, I love Hugh Dancy's performance. Yeah. I mean, obviously. But there's definitely something very admirable about William Peterson. I like how as the movie progresses, especially like his characters, we see that break in his character. Right, it's, mm-hmm. it's a two-hour movie, and I, I commend this movie for being able to 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 have his character what feels like normal at the beginning. And I, I wasn't on board with his Will Graham at the beginning of the movie. Like I felt like it was too normal. But maybe that's because I'm so used to seeing Hugh Dancy's performance that mm. this person seemed not traumatized at all. Right, he just seemed so straight. And I, I couldn't understand, like, how do we how do we get from, like, the Will Graham, where he is now, to the Will Graham we kind of know? And, like, in this two-hour movie, we see this breakdown of his character, right, of his psyche. That's what I really enjoyed about his performance in this in this yeah. movie. Okay, yeah. so two things about what you just said. One, you're like, wow, this Will Graham just seems so straight. Yeah. <laughs> at the beginning. At the beginning. At the beginning, right? He didn't seem like there was anything wrong with him and, like... Because if you think back to the beginning of Hannibal, the series, like Hugh Dancy, the way he plays it, you know, right from the very beginning, you know, there's something off about him, right? There's something like maybe not entirely stable about him. But William Peterson's Will Graham at the beginning seems like a normal family guy who's like who has his head screwed on straight on his shoulders, right? And he's not gay. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, th- thank you, Jeff. That's where I was going. Derek didn't... Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. exactly where I was going. Is that you're just like, oh, this Will Graham is so straight. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Okay. And like, I, I, I guess you didn't do that on purpose, but no, yeah. I did it. I actually did it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the big difference between this Will and uh, I'll say our Will Graham, Hugh Dancy's mm-hmm. Will Graham, is that, uh, you know, this Will Graham is straight. He has sex with his wife. He has a kid. He's, you know, not in love with Hannibal. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the real big difference here. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that this is a role that ironically sort of apparently lived in William Peterson's head. After oh, yeah. he did it, he was, he like, he couldn't get out of the Will Graham mindset. And he actually like supposedly like totally changed his appearance afterwards to try and get himself out of out of like to get Will Graham out of his head. He like shaved his beard, oh, interesting. his hair, and, yeah. So th- this is a role that kind of stuck with him in the same way that Will Graham's work, you know, yeah. in, in, in fiction sticks with him. So it's kind of an interesting parallel there. Yeah, and I also love how eighties this movie is. This movie oh is my God, so eighties. Yes. At the beginning, yeah, yeah. The synth score is so good. And like all the actors, William Peterson, Tom Noonan, Dennis Farina as Jack Crawford. That's crazy. Yeah. Brian Cox, Joan Allen. We even get Stephen Lang as Freddie Lowndes. What Freddie a weird Lowndes. casting. Yes, what a weird Freddie Lowndes. But yeah. it was great. Like another iteration of Freddie Lowndes that I actually really loved. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Was his was Stephen Lang's. Mm-hmm. Just a douchebag that, you know, you wanted to see what, what happened to him. Mm-hmm. We do. <laughs> but you're right. Like. The score of this movie, the soundtrack, so 80s, the way yeah. things are shot. <laughs> I was watching this and my fiance, like, you know, came in and out watching it with me or like kind of was observing and she was like, this movie is so 80s. <laughs> and I yeah, was, it yeah. was very 80s. Yeah. And, and the way it's shot is like, I love the way this movie's shot, by the way, just as a contrast to like Silence of the Lambs, right? Because Jonathan Demi, he uses like all these shadows and plays like the the darkness of the movie 
to its advantage about like portraying as like a almost horror film right but here everything's also like neon and bright and minimalist and like um blue there's so much yeah neon right Um, green and brown and kind of you know, yeah, only a lot of time. This is a very, it's very blue. It's like you said, very clear, very neon. Um, yeah, and and uh, Hannibal Lecter, Hannibal Lecter's <laughs> uh, <laughs> white prison, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's like, I need interesting because Brian Cox X two yes. is uh, William That's Stryker. Right. That's right. <laughs> Another movie where. The director has been disgraced, but that movie <laughs> is genuinely great. I cannot. Yeah. Yeah. X2 is yeah. great. So you guys want to dive right in? Uh... I mean, we're probably going to be talking a lot of these plot points again, because, mm-hmm. I mean, not to give anything away, a lot of this stuff does happen again uh, when we see yeah. uh, the season play out for the last six episodes. But to the show's credit, changes things, adds things, really... You know, this takes place over a two-hour movie versus we're going to have basically six hours of television, right? Because they're, mm-hmm. you know, supposed to be like one-hour episodes, or I guess they're 40-minute episodes. But uh, there's definitely more time to develop characters, develop story. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know who wants to dive into it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's some cool, like, shots I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like the initial going into the house. Oh yeah, the the cold the cold open. Yeah, cold yeah, open. Yeah. Uh, yeah, going up the stairs yeah. to family sleeping in their bed is incredibly creepy shit. And then you go right to the beach. Which have we ever seen a beach in Brian Fuller's Hannibal? Like outdoors, a lot of sun. Like yeah, the totem. Like, that, <laughs> the totem. <laughs> that's right. You do see that the totem. wasn't a lot of sun, and but even that, I feel like that's like an overcast day. That was an overcast yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. Like this, just shot of like someone at the beach with like the open water and the sun. It's just so not what we're used to. Yeah. Seeing. Going back to the opening, that's supposed to be the Leeds family, right? Because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same murder scene as you see later on. Yeah, and also the same family in Brian Fuller's Hannibal in the pilot episode. Mm. It's the Leeds Wait, family. What? Yeah, so the the opening scene of Hannibal, uh, the television show, is supposed to be Francis Dollarhide murdering this family. Big callback to Manhunter and Red Dragon. Not um, know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Because Will Graham and, and the, the squints, they're talking about, like, Mrs. Leeds, right? She's, like, disarming the, the alarm and all that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah. They don't return back to that or, like, reference it in this final season at all. They kind of just redo but it's, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I think it might be a shout-out to the, to the Leeds. Yeah, yeah. It up, it's it's Marlowe is the name. So it's a different... Oh, okay. I, I mean, talking about that first shot, I really love... The way he, like, you know, when he's walking up the stairs, you really only see everything through kind of like this. It's almost like this lens of this flashlight. And I, I love the way when William Peterson's character first enters the scene also, like all the lights are off. And he and he goes up the stairs the exact same way. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you guys notice that where like the camera was doing the. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like such a great way to like make you feel like, okay, he's getting into the mind of like, you know, Francis yeah. Solar High. Like I really thought that was a very clever Nice little parallel. Yeah, nice little there, parallel yeah. from um, uh, Michael Mann. So I really appreciate that. But to go back to that beach thing, Amir. So in the books, 
I feel like this is definitely a, a very Michael Mann change to the story because, you know, in, in the books, it's not on a beach. And in the movie kind of references, like, you know, I should be talking to you at like a motor yard or whatever. Uh, that's exactly where it does take place in in the book. Yeah. So it's kind of like Michael Mann's like, oh, I'll pay homage to that. But I'm, I want it on this beach, which very, very much looks like a kind of like a Michael Mann shot, right? In this episode, as in all adaptations, Jack is a user and he's uh, <laughs> exploiting Will here. Mm-hmm. To uh, guilt him back into uh, rejoining the FBI with the the pictures of the murdered families. Mm-hmm. That's it. So that's that, that's very that's very in line with all the portrayals of uh, we've seen of Jack. We already start in the very beginning with like the watching motif, right? Of like Molly's like watching Jack and Will talk on the beach, right? Isn't she from like oh, from the house? Yeah. Initially, and then like she's yelling at Jack about being a user and all this stuff, and. Of course, you get the same line we get in Hannibal of like, oh, yeah, if he decides to do it, I'll keep him as far away from it as I can, which is another thing. <laughs> another thing Jack always says that never turns out to be true. Um, <laughs> we go from that. Uh, the shots of the sky are also gorgeous. It's just a totally different color palette. It's like a very pretty shot that you're just like, oh, this wouldn't fit. Um, and then the blue of that sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whenever they go back to like his house. Yeah, that just that blue, that stunning blue that just takes over the yeah. screen. Yeah, that yeah, it's it's just insanely blue every time they go back to the house. She's always blue there. The only other blue like that is I think there's a scene where they're like going over the documents or something. It seems pretty blue. But yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like re- there's a ton of blue. Yeah. Yeah, and again, notable again, sex scene with a woman. This Will Graham, totally straight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then we get into that thing you were talking about. Where uh, you know he goes up the stairs and it's the power of the country that comes to mind, and this is again going back to like the fact that hey, it's the it's the eighties, like it's VCRs, right? So he's watching VCR home movies uh, of the families, right? Right, right. And then he's recording his thoughts with the tape recorder, and I think it's so interesting because he's so like, as we said earlier, he's so detailed and methodical about talking about like the little forensic details. He got saliva on the glass, and he did this, and he did that, and. Whereas, like, our Will Graham is, like, using a magic power. Yeah. This is also, like, more just, like, this is just, like, serial killer shit. I don't know. It's like a home invader serial killer thing. There's blood all over the bedroom. And it's, like, I don't know. The killers in Hannibal aren't, like, home invaders. They, like, make weird totems and, like, I don't know. They're all so insane. Like, this is just, like, a guy bursts into your house and kills you and your family and does weird things. It's, like, very, I don't know tame and normie almost compared to yeah to what we get in hannibal like mm-hmm. it's a very 80s conception of a serial killer and like by the time we get to hannibal in the 2000s things have accelerated so far the serial killers are making tablets this this movie gave me like uh zodiac vibes just with how procedural it is you know david fincher's zodiac mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. quite as meticulous in like portraying the rigmaroles of like crime scene investigation and stuff and like how defeated you can be and like in the pursuit of a serial killer but like it's on the same wavelength i think yeah like no how... for sure there's a, there's a there's a lot of that in here there's a lot a lot of will like trying to actually psychologize and think about the motivation of the serial killer which i really like like him talking it out okay he's this guy needs acceptance this guy needs to he needs to see he needs to be he needs to be accepted and and he arranges the tableaus so that he can you know, arrange the killers as in, in a pose where they're accepting. Like, I really like him talking through that nitty gritty as well, um, mm-hmm. which is really, it's really cool. Um, 
Yeah, there's so much in here that's so, like, physically rooted in CSI-ish with the evidence. Getting the fingerprints from the cornea. Um, and Jimmy Price. We get a little Jimmy Price, right? Yeah. He's the fingerprint guy. The fingerprint guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is, I guess, when fingerprinting, I don't know, something just, like, anyone could do. It's like, you know, you've got, like, a special guy who you, like, fly from DC or something like that to do fingerprinting. Yeah. I mean, the way Will talks about him and Jack, I guess, like they talk about him as though he's someone special too. Not not special in yeah, the same way as Will, yeah, but yeah. like in the way that like the, this guy's really good at his job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like I really appreciated that. Yeah, that's a cool. It's funny that we only really get Price, right? We don't get the Price Zeller cat show. So Zeller's mentioned, but I don't think we see him. No, I don't think so. Unless he's probably one of the ones in the room when they're doing the briefings or whatever, you know, he could be because I know Beverly Katz is a, is a character from the book. And I'm, I imagine that might be the female in that scene, right? The one that uh, grabs the hair. The mentions are like so fleeting that yeah. I just appreciated that they were in there, but like they're like gone before like you, you ever get a chance to. Yeah. Cause you have Bloom, you know, as mentioned, of course, I mean, you have all those, all the players that we're kind of used to, in a sense. Uh, even yeah. though, like, there are there have been some gender swaps, um, are all here. I think some in some form or manner. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think of Tom Noonan's portrayal of Francis Dollarhide? I loved it. It's really good. I think the film does an interesting, like, I don't know, ninety degree turn, seventy five percent of the way through. You're like, oh, like, where's this movie going? And all of a sudden, you just have like this window into his weird life for 30 minutes before the movie wraps up. It's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, like, like it all of a sudden becomes the Francis Dollarhide show, right? Yeah. He becomes, like, the main character of the film for, like, a good 30, 35 minutes, right? And yeah. I, I like that. It's, it's yeah, interesting. It's super cool. It's super interesting. I am not in that camp. I actually thought the movie got weaker at that point, in my opinion. Like, I didn't mm, quite like... Not that I didn't like his portrayal, it, it was this weird shift between like really concentrating on Will to then like really the last, like you said, last 25, 30 minutes was really just focused on Francis Dollarhide. And it's, it, I, I don't know, it took away some of the mystery of this character, but then also really felt like it was trying to shoehorn in a lot of like who this person was and then this relationship with, um, Reba. Reba. And it it took this turn of like I don't understand where this is. Not that I don't understand where this is going, but it's just like I think you know. It seems a little. It seems a little bit late to be introducing all of this right at the end. I don't know. I felt like this was never a story about Francis Dollarhide as much as I was more compelled about who Will Graham was in this movie. See, strong disagree. I think some of the strongest scenes are the Francis Dollarhide scenes. Love. There's a little weird romance with Reba um, and how fucking scary the whole thing is because he's a serial killer. He's an incredibly violent, unhinged person. Um, I loved, uh, like, his weirdness and her, like, sexual aggression and, like, his paranoia and need for acceptance and, like, pathology kind of causing him to, like, even see things that aren't there, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I, I really like that. I thought that was such a great portrayal. I mean, this guy's like, uh, I mean, I don't know, but he's sort of like a proto-incel, right? Like, isn't this, isn't this like, 
1981 version of an incel. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's just really interesting. Like he's so pathological and he's seeing things that aren't there. I don't know. His tiger date is really, really like the tiger date is awesome. I think I love that. It's so good. His whole little romance, super tense and scary and sexy. And I, like it. I think a lot of the credit does go to Thomas Harris because I think making Reba blind is a fucking stroke of genius for yes. the character. And that tiger date is fantastic. And you know what? I actually think all three portrayals of Francis Dollarhide are good. Not to get into too much spoiler territory. I think they all strike a good yeah. balance of sympathetic versus horrifying serial killer. You know? And I think Ray Fiennes does that well. I think Tom Noonan does that well. And then obviously in Hannibal, Richard Armitage, he does that well too. I do think that... They're all pretty strong performances. And and I, I do like the line in this movie where Will Graham's like, as a child, my heart bleeds for him. Someone took a little boy and turned him into a monster. And he says, but as an adult, I think someone should blow the sick fuck out of his socks. <laughs> <laughs> I do yeah. like that line a lot. And, and I think it, it it outlines that dichotomy really well. And and. I, I do like that. What I do miss in this adaptation is a lot of the William Blake imagery. I think that's toned down a lot. You don't really get to see... Because those paintings are awesome. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to yeah. see them that much in this adaptation, where it's all over the other two. And, and um, I wish we got to see a little bit more of that. Because they did get like full tattoo, fake tattoo workup for Tom Noonan. But I think they ended up not using it, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, because I've seen uh, stills of him, like, it, yeah, him covered in it, and I was like, yeah, I don't remember that in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But I, I will say that I think I am unfairly comparing this to what I already know of how it, it's handled in Hannibal, the series. Mm. Not to give too much away, like, I just do think that there is that contrast between like getting to spend six episodes with Dollar Hyde versus I think only like the last 30 minutes of this movie really mm. with this character. And I think that's what's clouding my judgment in a way because I, I do appreciate spending more time with the character versus like trying to catch up and really learn everything and understand this character and, and feel whatever we need to feel within just 30 minutes. Yeah. Another thing is like I also appreciate how – pasty and weird looking Tom Noonan is in this movie mm -hmm. because like I mean no offense to Tom Noonan but like Richard Armitage and Ray Fiennes they're fucking good looking dudes I'm used to they're, jacked they're jacked <laughs> yeah they're very very good looking dudes you know so like and like it kind of plays up like Reba being blind and all that because Tom Noonan looks like how you think a serial killer Dude, yeah, would look. Absolutely. He's pasty absolutely. as fuck. He's just weird looking as hell. He's got like the pantyhose on his face and shit. It's like, it's like weird, weird as shit. But like, <laughs> he's so weird looking. Pretty big, scary dude himself, too. He's like fairly big. Because I do think the series does, the series, Hannibal's here. I can't, we keep, this is so confusing. But I do feel like the <laughs> series does play that up a little bit more. You know, the fact that he is a good looking guy, but then, you know, he, it's his own facial scars that he's like insecure about, and mm -hmm. they they play more into that in the series versus like it. I didn't get that really from this um, yeah. adaptation as much. 
But Hannibal has so many episodes to play with that. that yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's unfair. Yeah, it's unfair. Yeah. But the scene I want to talk about is the uh, death of Freddie Lowndes mm. in this movie. Because, you know, this is actually my first time watching this movie. In the Hannibal series, it's supposed to be Freddie Lowndes' body that gets uh, thrown down also down a parking the ramp. ramp. Yeah, the parking ramp. In the wheelchair, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's shot very similar, like the, the way a security guard is hearing this body, and then we see the light from the flaming body first before we ever see the, the, the wheelchair and the person. And Derek, there are only so many ways you can film <laughs> a flaming dead body coming down a parking lot right <laughs> Yes, you're right. I was like, I was just like, I guess... No, I get you. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I remember when I originally, we talked about those episodes and we were talking about like, oh, is Freddie Lowndes dead? I'm like, no, Freddie Lowndes is dead. This is all just the guys. Like, come on. How can nobody see through this? But then realizing, well, if you're clouded by this, like if you've seen this or you've probably seen Red Dragon, like you would have maybe been convinced that Freddie Lowndes is actually dead because that's what actually happens to him in the mm-hmm. in, in this, right? So yeah, it's right. like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, it, it, it works both ways where like, you know, maybe I would have been maybe a little bit more deceived if I've already seen this movie before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like the, the whole point of the show is that it plays on your expectations, right? Yeah. Because it's what happens to Stephen Lang and Philip Seymour Hoffman in both the adaptations where, where, they, where they die, right? And it's, it's uh, fun to see them do a fake out with that, right? Yeah. Uh, what else do we want to talk about here? The Graham Lecter meetings? Their relationship is a lot more combative than the relationship we've seen on Hannibal thus far, right? Like, they're out-and-out enemies in this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, the the relationship in Hannibal obviously is more of a love-hate relationship. But but Hannibal does, uh, even in this, he does that implication. He says, the reason you caught me is we're just alike. If you want to get the sense, smell yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's a really great line. Yeah. Like going going back to how combative the relationship is, I feel like that's more like rooted in realism, right? Because on the show, like who the fuck knows? But like this is a appropriate response to someone who fucking gutted you, right? So like right. <laughs> or yes. disemboweled yes. you, right? So yes. Um, yes. I think that's 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 like a realism that we don't really see on on the series. And, and I do find that refreshing. I do like seeing that. So, yeah. And I actually really enjoyed the scene with, um, Will and his son, right. Him, him telling his son, like what happened to him. Like, I think, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen it happen. You know, we, we know, or we can imagine like how maybe the show would have handled it. Right. In that sense of where they're more very like showing us what would happen. But, I really do like that exchange between him and his son because I think Peterson in that scene is very good, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, talking about his pain, but then also trying to be, it's almost like a lesson for his son or like being very honest for his son. Like I really did enjoy that kind of tender scene between them. Yeah. So yeah, I like how the movie handles that situation. Yeah. But I, I will say that like in contrast, like the way I think the show and like Silence of the Lamb handles like Lecter you know, and his investigator, whatever you want to call it, you know, Will versus Clarice, it's more of a slow draw, right? It's more of like mm-hmm. a tense scene where it's played out a little bit longer and the tension is allowed to build versus I feel like the scenes between Cox and Peterson in this movie were very, like the dialogue was very fast and very like 
they almost like overlapped, right? The way they kind of mm-hmm. spoke to each other. And it, it was interesting kind of contrast to see that versus what I'm used to, I think, right. in, in the show and then in silence. I loved Will's reaction to seeing Hannibal in person again. Is he holds it all together while he's talked to him. He's kind of acting tough and firing back with the banter and the whatever. And, and you know, using the fact that Hannibal's in jail as the, as, uh, as the upper hand. But then as soon as he gets out of the room, he just breaks down and can't take it. Yeah. Takes that really memorable long run uh, down those stairs. I think, it's in, I think it's shot in a museum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Getty, I think, in L.A. Yeah. Yeah, it is the Getty, yeah. Oh, okay. Just talking about the running, I love how he just like stays on that shot, right? Where you just see him kind of running like in that zigzag form. Like he doesn't pull away from that and uh, accentuates like his need to get out of this complex as fast as he can. I really enjoyed the way Man approached that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think Brian Cox just plays Hannibal just a little more human than Anthony Hopkins. He's not as like reptilian you know, and um, there's a, there's a subtlety to it that that I I, I appreciate, um, especially after seeing both Mads Mikkelsen and Anthony Hopkins so many times before. Uh, he's a little bit petty. Yeah, right? he's a little like, petty. Like the way he's trying to kind of get back at Will, it's a little low. I mean, the whole murder your family thing is a little more petty than pretty fucking. Mm-hmm. But it's I don't know. The whole thing is so low fi low tech, like. He uses what the gum wrapper to bypass the security on the phone, and, and call yeah, the, he like resets the phone so he can call the operator or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so instead of just calling who they want him to, he's able to call the operator, call the FBI, and get this fucking idiot to give just hand Will Graham's home address to any random person who calls. Like the FBI has got to work on their security. That's fucking yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's terrible. Their security sucks. It also means that unlike in the series, nobody's eavesdropping on Hannibal Lecter constantly, right? In Brian Fuller's Hannibal, Chilton's always listening into every conversation, except mm-hmm. in like, that one room or But apparently, like no one's really monitoring him that closely, because otherwise they'd see him doing this shit. Like they found the letter from Dollarhide, but they didn't see him doing this. Mm-hmm. So one thing I don't get from this lector is like why he's menacing, right? Like even if you remember like the Silence of the Lambs, before Clarice ever goes in, you know, Chilton gives her the little spiel about like don't do this. You know, he did this to a nurse, one of our nurses. Like don't give him a pen or don't give him a paperclip because he'll kill you with it. Like you know, there is no mention of like how dangerous this person is and i you don't really ever get that sense from well i I feel like will graham himself is the yardstick of how fucked up well you get the psychological or like the psychological part of hannibal from from brian cox's performance right but there is also this like physical you know what we get from like uh hawkins and and mickelson because you know they're allowed to like play with the the idea that he's a he's an actual cannibal versus like th- it does seem like cox's lector is is very psychological in that sense right there is no kind mm. of physical element to him well they don't really play up the cannibalism yeah. in this movie that much but i i do want to go back to what amir said like all it took for me to buy like how dangerous Brian Cox's Hannibal is, is 
will breaking down after his encounter with him, right? Like, I think that that's very indicative, like, of how psychologically traumatizing encounters with him can be, right? Because he disemboweled Will pretty much, right? Which is true across all adaptations, but like, William Peterson's little breakdown is fantastic, and I, I, I like that a lot. It goes a long way to show that relationship, you know? So, any other shots that you guys want to talk about? The the weird shot of the Leeds family dying with their face all silvery. Mm. That one sticks out. Oh, I thought of something I wanted to mention. Their little sting, trying to set up Francis Dollarhide, and they run mm-hmm. into that guy, and they don't murder him? That was pretty shocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, yeah, my fiancé was there. Uh, when she, we watched that, uh, when I was watching that scene, she's like, "What? They're not gonna even apologize to that guy? Like, <laughs> like, sorry, the mistake." <laughs> like, um, I'm just glad they didn't shoot him. That's <laughs> true. That is true. That would have that that would have not uh, aged well, I guess. <laughs> 1981 in DC, right? I mean, <laughs> do you know who else needs to be apologized to? The little girl on the plane that fucking oh yes, Will <laughs> <laughs> Graham traumatizes. He falls asleep and he leaves all the murder photos out, and his little girl looks over and like it's the the Leeds family crime scene photos are all over. It's it's this movie's a little funny. It's funny. It's funny. So I was reading reading up about that scene, and apparently, I think it was United or whatever airline didn't give him permission to shoot. So like, what he did was he, oh really? He booked a flight anyway and shot that scene without like anyone knowing that he was going to shoot it and then he he apologized to everybody you know like the the people around him and the flight crew and i guess he gave them um merchandise from i can't remember what movie the the site said but like he 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 basically gave them all free stuff to to apologize for it i mean that's just the story i read i don't know if it's true but i i think that's pretty funny <laughs> better to ask for forgiveness than permission right <laughs> how do you do that though how do you sneak a full like film crew and a camera all that stuff on the flight without anyone knowing like see that's clearly what you're doing that's apparently i was reading up on that too like they mentioned like oh you know this is back in the 80s when like security wasn't as high in like in airports and stuff so like you know mm-hmm. they were able to bring all the equipment with them and just get it through metal detectors and that's crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i thought that was pretty funny too <laughs> one last thing is i want to mention like the shot of Will jumping through the window in that final uh, confrontation. Okay, actually, let's talk about the last set piece. Because I actually, this kind of full-on went kind of Michael Mann action for me. And I think that was the turn that I really didn't like in the movie. I'm glad you brought this up. The weird slow-mo running through glass. And then Dollarhide has this shotgun. And he's just like taking people out left and right. It's It becomes too much of an action movie. Versus what I really liked in the first, you know, Hour 50 was this really tense kind of cat and mouse thriller. The end's a little limp. It's not nearly as good as, like, the end of silence. Like, that whole thing is super intense. Yes. Super tense. She, like, descends into the underworld, and she's alone against this guy who's got the night vision goggles, and there's all those cool shots of him hunting. Like, that shit whips. Um, This is definitely not, not, not as good. Um... And it's like, there's just too much going, like, there's too many people involved in this scene. Like, there's the cops that he blows away, and there's, I don't know, it just doesn't... It, it, it's, it a doesn't little, it's a little cheesy action movie. Yeah, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. I agree with you, Derek. It's not as satisfying. Like, there's that landscape 
wallpaper that he has where where uh, Dollarhide like steps through it and they do it in like this weird slow motion where he has the shotgun. It's just a little cheesy. And like he picks up Will and he like backhands him like a couple of times. It's just it's just a little cheesy. I I, I agree. I, I agree hundred um, percent. Very like almost like John Woo kind of like like you said, cheesy and it, it took a turn, a weird turn that like sometimes it works in movies, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you kind of switch gears, but for me, it didn't work here because yeah. it just becomes, like I said, this very Michael Mann action kind of thing going on. Yeah. But Michael Mann himself has made great strides since exactly, this movie. Yeah. Like, this can't hold a candle to heat, right? Like, the whole shootout. It's it's uh, all the stuff in Public Enemies. Even, like, Last of the Mohicans. Collaterals what? action set pieces. Well, he's a decade later, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot later, but this is still some of his earlier work, so. Also, this is very 80s. It's still very 80s. So, like, <laughs> mentioned it a little earlier. What do you guys think of the pacing in the movie? Derek said he didn't like the switch to Dollar Hide at the end. What did you think, Jeff, of, like, the pacing in general? <laughs> uh, I didn't really find that big of an issue with the pacing. I just, like, like what we just said, like, the, I think the tonal shift in the final set piece is more jarring than anything else. It took me a little bit to get used to the focus on Dollar Hide, because, like, you're watching, like, oh, I guess we're doing this now. But a lot of that stuff is really beautiful and really moving in a way that I didn't expect. So I I really appreciated that. I I didn't find the pacing to be too off. I I would say I I was feeling that two-hour runtime by the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, if it was maybe, a, like, 10 minutes shorter or something, you know, I don't mm. know what you would cut out. But, like, I, I do feel like it's not great when you start to feel like this movie is becoming a little bit long. I kind of agree with both of you in that, like, I love, I, I agree with Jeff in that I love the Dollar Hide stuff. But I agree with you, Derek. I don't, it does feel like a more than two hour, two hours. Mm-hmm. When it's only really two hours, exactly. And, and two I don't hours. know why. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what it is because I, I know what you're saying. It's like there's nothing you could cut. It's all it all feels pretty good, but I don't know. Maybe it's a little uneven somewhere. I I can't pin it down. It's just there's so many moving parts. There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, like, I mean, if you want to talk about it, it's just Hannibal. The show breaks this down in six episodes, and this this only has two hours to to really tell the same story, right? And um, you have Will's family life. You have this whole thing with Freddie Lowndes and all this Francis Dollarhide stuff. You almost forget that Hannibal Lecter was even in this, right? There's a lot of stuff going on. Maybe it's what it is. Because the last mention of Hannibal, really, or Dr. Lecter, because they don't call him Hannibal, is you don't really see him, right? The last mention of him is that he gave away Will's address, right? Which is a huge dick move. He's on the phone with Will at the end. Right before Will figures everything out. Right? Oh, you're, you're, right, you're 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, call yeah. and they talk, and that like kind of helps Will fill in the final puzzle pieces. I think you're right, you're right, yeah, yeah, you're right. You would think, like, for an adaptation of a Thomas Harris novel, that the movie would end with Hannibal Lecter somehow, but it doesn't, right? It's just Will with his family on the with on the beach, right? Yeah, but then you have to ask yourself: Did did the Hannibal Lecter character really was he the star in the novels as much as I think Anthony Hopkins has made him the star of this series. Do you know what I mean? 
where mm-hmm. maybe that the, the Red Dragon book really, from my understanding, doesn't have much Lecter, and and he's not again not the star. That's fair, but I think like in hindsight, it's like because Red also Dragon, this movie, yeah, Silence because of the Lambs, Hannibal, Hannibal Rising, like clearly Thomas Harris is all about Hannibal Lecter. That's right? true, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, uh, is there anything else, guys? Or no, I th- I think that's it. I I really do like this movie. It's yeah, very good. I don't like using the word underrated a lot, but um, underrated Michael Mann, I would say. Not too many people talk about Manhunter when they talk about Michael Mann's filmography, but um, it deserves a spotlight. It's 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 very indicative of. Man's filmography going forward, right? And, and, it's a, and it's at least the second best Hannibal Lecter movie, if not best. Oh, on. yeah, 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 yeah. Because, right? like, there's no way Hannibal, Red Dragon, Hannibal Rising, none of those are even good. Yeah. So it's really just this and silence. Silence. Yeah. This silence in the TV show, right? As far as like worthy animations. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 Agree with your sentiments, Jeff. Uh, I've never seen this movie, and this is the first time, and I'm glad I did. It, I think it's great. I think it's it's nice to see a different side or a different kind of take on all these characters that I'm just so used to in, in one form, you know, on, on this yeah. televised form. So, yeah, I did I did appreciate this watch. So, if, if any of our audience has never seen this movie, definitely go try to find it. Yeah, please, please check it out. If not, now watch it after... You watch Hannibal season three if, you're, if yeah. you guys are following along. Because if you watch this, you it will. Well, actually, I don't know if it actually will spoil. It'll spoil some parts. It'll definitely it'll spoil. Spoils. Yeah, it'll spoil what happens with Francis Dollarhide and stuff like that. Um, but but you will not predict where this goes with Hannibal and Will. So it's it's totally different. But um, it's definitely something you guys should give it a watch. All right. Well, I think um, that will conclude this week's episode. Uh, Jeff, where can people find you? You can find me and my work on strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. Uh, what about you guys? I do have a nominal letterbox. I promise I will write something on. And what about you, Derek? Uh, you can find me at the, the wrong day, Dake spelled D-A-Y-I-K, and that's for Instagram and Twitter. You also can find me on my other podcast called Geeks in a Pod, where me and my three other friends... Uh, we just talk all things kind of geek. Movies, television, gaming, etc. Uh, everything kind of just revolving around pop culture in general. Uh, but if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts specifically, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to so many more people. Yeah, and if you guys... Have any questions, comments, suggestions, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. Uh, we like to read fan mail and sometimes we read them out loud on the pod. So if you guys have anything you guys want to add, uh, feel free to shoot us a line. And this will conclude this week's episode on Manhunter. Next week, we will be back with more Brian Fuller's Hannibal rounding out the season. So we will see you guys next week. See you guys then.